0: Our text this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20, it will be no surprise if you've been around the last few weeks. Uh, you'll find that on page 61 if you happen to be using one of our Pew Bibles. And if you're just joining us, uh, I should tell you, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Exodus. We've uh, spent a number of months there, and we're going to be finishing up at the end of the summer. But we've been talking about God coming and rescuing his people out of Egypt and bringing them out of slavery and into freedom. And now at this particular uh Part of the series, we're in Exodus chapter 20, going through the Ten Commandments. As we've been saying each week, even the giving of the law, even the giving of the Ten Commandments, is one aspect of God setting His people free. He gave us the law in order that we might be a people who were set free to know and to worship Him. Let me pray for us, and we'll uh, look at our text for this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. In need of hearing from you. Some of us are very aware of that. Some of us know that we need to hear a word from you. Some of us maybe are not sure why we're even here this morning and certainly have no confidence that you speak, much less speak to us. Would you show yourself to us in the pages of Scripture this morning? Would you open our hearts to hear your word? open your word to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Exodus 20, we're going to read verse 2, and then we'll go on and read verse 7, the third commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name vain. In vain. Third commandment got me thinking this week about uh, um, my, my an interaction I had with my, my father when I was a teenager. I've had a lifelong struggle to try to suppress this uh, sarcastic instinct that I have, which has uh, got me in trouble more than once. And I think of one time in particular with my dad, when I was a teenager, we were we were traveling, we we're going on a, a get on an airplane to go somewhere. And this was well, obviously well before 9-11 and, and the heightened sense of security that we all understand more fully now than I did as a teenager. So we're standing in line waiting to go, uh, go through the, the thing where you get scanned. And, and I'm talking to my dad, and I, I crack a joke about having a bomb. It, it's not as bad as you think. Like, no, no, no one else heard it. But my dad was quick to turn to me and say, do not say stuff like that, right? Because he knew, he knew you can get in a lot of trouble, even as a teenage kid, making a crack about something that's very serious when you don't realize the, uh, the weight of the thing that you're saying. It got me thinking about the fact that there are some topics that we know, or if you're a teenage kid like myself, you know, have to learn about that are incredibly weighty. They're incredibly serious. There are some things where even the words that we say have to be chosen very carefully because we're treading on very important ground. And to take a misstep could have terrible consequences. Okay, um, and, and that's really what's at the heart. We're going to see this morning the third commandment. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This too is about, uh, on the surface, the way we use our words. We're going to see it goes much deeper than just that. But there are some things for which we should have the deepest respect and the deepest sense of awe. And, you know, as you can imagine, and maybe if you've been here in this, uh, this series, you know, each of the Ten Commandments, in fact, everything that we talk about when we gather together on a Sunday morning, um, has an element of, of, of being, if you're thinking about it, being incredibly Convicting. Uh, th- this one, in some ways, was particularly so for me this week because I've, it's, it's brought me face-to-face with my my own lack of awe. Maybe my own dim- diminished capacity for um, understanding the weight and the glory of God. And, and, and so it's been particularly important for me for this to have, to have this held up as a mirror before myself. And, and maybe that will prove true for many of us this morning. Because the point this morning, the point of the third commandment, is that God's name is weighty. And it's to be used and represented with great care. Okay, that's, that's what the third commandment teaches us. Uh, so to see that, we're going to see here the, the significance of names and the use of God's name. And then also the gift of God's name. Okay, so first the significance of names. In ancient Near Eastern culture, out of which the Bible comes, its original culture, names were incredibly important. Uh, they are incredibly weighty. Now, that they meant something. Can okay, if you've uh, named a, a child, you, you know what it's it's like to go through the process of trying to trying to pick a name for your child. Uh, you might you might pick a name for a child based on a, a family member. Maybe it's a, it's a family name that gets passed on, or or maybe as you strive to think of a name for your for your new child, you're trying to just you're trying to find a cool name. One of the things Elizabeth and I had to, uh, took into consideration now with the uh, benefit of the Internet, which many of you didn't have the benefit of that when you were naming your own child, but you can see the current list of the top 100 names in the United States. So we tried to be, our version of being cool was to make sure we, we didn't pick anything that was you know too high on that list. I mean, how common would that be? So we had to pick something down near the bottom. I think Henry at the time was like 99 or 100. We like to think it's coming back now. But... When you pick a name, you, you know inherently there's some significance to that, but even more so for the for the culture out of which the Old Testament comes. Uh, because names said something about you. They, they said something about the times in which you were born. Sometimes they said something about God himself as parents name their children. Uh, one example from the Old Testament of the importance of names in regards to the events of the people. In 1 Samuel... Uh, the uh, the priest Eli has two sons, uh, Phineas and Hophnes, and their the God's um, God's worship is deteriorating, so much so that God brings the Philistines in to defeat God's people and to capture the ark. Now the ark was this box that was made by Moses and the people in the desert, and it contained God's, It contained the Ten Commandments, relevant for us, as well as other uh, artifacts that God puts there to remind his people of his presence. And it was the very locus of God's presence in his people. It stayed right at the heart of the tabernacle, right at the heart of the temple. And so for the ark to be stolen, it was this incredible uh, picture for them of God's departure in his care for them. At this particular moment, so the, all this to say, the daughter of or the wife of Phineas, one of these priests, uh, she is in the she is dying as she gives birth, as the ark is being stolen, and as she sees that happen, she names her child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. Okay, he was named in relation to the tragic things that were happening among God's people. Uh, you know, you can also think of. Uh, other uses of names, also in 1 Samuel, uh, this woman, Hannah, who desperately wants a child and comes to the place of God's worship year after year praying that God would grant her a child. And he finally does. And she names her son Samuel, which means something like God hears. She names his child, this child in response to God's goodness to her. And we see even in the book of Exodus when God reveals himself to Moses and he says, Moses, this is my name. This is the name you will know me by, Yahweh, the one who is. That is my name. Names were incredibly significant. They said something about the giver or or about the receiver of a name. So the use of someone's name was bound up with their identity and their respect. I mean, we use the word name in the same way now, right? If someone gains a name for themselves, if they go out and win a name for themselves, what do we mean? They've, they've gained some sort of, of fame or reputation or honor. Then our names are bound up with uh, our reputation and honor. Some of us, and I've heard st- I've, I've heard people tell stories of this, and maybe it's been true of your family when your parents sat you down and said, Listen very closely. U-R-A, and plug in your last name. And I expect you to maintain our family name with honor, because honor is what's appropriate for a good name. Now, if uh, for, for the w- wives in our congregation, you, you've had a taste of this too, right? I, I think about uh, what a significant, even symbolic step it is when people get married and when uh, the wife takes on uh, not everybody does, but a wife takes on the last name of her husband. What a graphic picture of my identity and my reputation, my name are now bound up with someone else. And if someone else in this family does something disreputable, it's going to drag my name through the mud too. And if this name is held in honor, then I will be held in honor too. Even just that picture of we are bound together and names have to do with recognition and reputation, Proverbs twenty-two one says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Uh, I was thinking this week, uh, Kyle and the youth group. they're over the course of the summer, each week they're watch they're watching a different movie and talking about sort of. You know, what, what does this movie tell us about our culture? How does it point to God? How do we think through this as Christians in the world? And uh, this past week with uh, the middle schoolers, they watched the, the movie The Incredibles, this uh, cartoon. Many of you have probably seen it. But there's this scene in the movie that Kyle reminded me of where the, the mother, the superhero mother, is talking to her superhero kids. And she says to them, Your identity is your most valuable possession. Protect it. And they went on to have this conversation about what does it mean? Where do we find our identity? Well, all of this is bound up in the third commandment, in the name of God and of treating God's name rightly. It's not just about speaking God's name, in fact. It's about everything that we do to either glorify or profane the reputation and name of our God. Okay, names are incredibly significant, significance of names. Okay, Here in this commandment, the use of God's name. What exactly is being commanded here? Look again at... Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Okay, first you notice the verb here, takes the name. And the way we typically think about this commandment, maybe maybe what you, you would think, or the way you actually read it, though these aren't the words on the page, is you, you shall not speak the word, the name of your Lord, in, a, in an unworthy way. But it says you shall not take the name. Uh, literally this comes from a Hebrew, Hebrew verb that means to lift up, and the and the context here is much broader than simply speaking. It is everything that we do with and in relationship to God's name. It could be our, our speaking. It could be our thoughts. It could be everything about our actions, the way that we represent God to the world, the picture we show the world and everything we do of who God is and what it means to follow him. It says, you shall not take up, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God in vain. And in vain, that phrase it can mean what is false, it can mean what is empty. J. I. Packer says this: what is forbidden in the third commandment is any use or involvement of god's name that is empty, frivolous, or insincere? And so that touches on everything we say we say and do in relation to God. Are we treating him with appropriate respect, with appropriate love, with appropriate awe? Okay, what does it mean to use God's name badly? What does it mean to break this commandment? Again, we said we can do it in speech and word and act- thought and action. There's a scene in Numbers 24 where two men, two Israelites, get in a fight. And in the course of this fight, uh, as they're slugging it out, one of them uh, uses God's name as a curse word. And he curses the other person with it. Okay, as this fight is broken up, they come to Moses, and, and here's what Numbers 24 says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who is cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. The strictest of penalties under Old Testament law uh, for the misuse of God's name, for using God's name as a curse word. But it can also be used in other ways. Leviticus 19.12 says this, You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. You shall not swear by it falsely. And if you were to read any of the books that are out there that, about the Ten Commandments that speak about the Third Commandment, you'll see that much of, of the discussion has to do with the use of using an oath, of using God's name as a seal on the truthfulness of your words. And that that use comes right here from Leviticus 19. You know, Anybody who swears an oath, who brings my name into the transaction and uses it falsely, you are guilty of breaking the Third Commandment. Now it might be easy to look at this and say, well, I never say, you know, so help me God when I when I tell somebody I'm going to do something or when I'm when I make a vow. But as, as commentators will be quick to point out, everything we do is before the face of God. He is present everywhere at all times. And every word that we speak, we speak in his presence. So suddenly even Leviticus 19 opens up this whole avenue of how do we use our words when we are promising something to someone. We're giving our word that we will follow through on an action. Uh, these, two are have to do with the third commandment and keeping or breaking the third commandment. But it can be some of the things that we do as well. Let's see what Proverbs 30 says, uh, specifically about stealing. Uh, it's this prayer that you may recognize. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What's he saying? To go and to steal, to break that commandment, that too is a profaning of God's name, a breaking of the third commandment, a misusing, a misrepresenting of who God is. One commentator says, It's not so much that someone mentions the name of the Lord, but that he thinks, speaks, and acts disparagingly, disparagingly in regard to him. That is what constitutes the essence of cursing and blasphemy. Or as a RUF pastor I know, Les Newsom said in, in a sermon f- from which I got a lot, very helpful for me, he says this, Anything you do which mars the reputation of the God of the universe is a violation of the third commandment. Anything you do that mars his reputation Okay, so many, many ways this is broken. It's all cursing of God. But also, oh my God, good Lord, Jesus. So many uses of God's name even that can come so flippantly to our lips. Any ways in which we speak and think and act of our God in ways that hold him lightly, that hold him weightless, that bring little honor. In fact, anything about our life brings dishonor on God's name. Now, it's interesting in uh, the tradition of the church, both New Testament and in Old Testament, uh, with Jewish followers of God, that many took this to mean God's name is so sacred and so holy and it is so vitally important that we not violate this commandment that many would not even utter the name of God that we find in scriptures of Yahweh or not even write it out. In fact, if you were to pick up a, uh, a Hebrew Old Testament, And you read, what you'd you'd see is that um, in in Hebrew, there's several words in the Old Testament where where those, when, when that name was, when that word was read in the synagogues, that the person reading would read one thing as he looks on the page, but he would say another thing. And that would happen every time they came to the Hebrew word for Yahweh. Every time they saw that word, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai, which means Lord. Because they were trying to be so careful that God gave this special name and they wanted to so be careful not to misuse that name that they would not even speak it. I came across this when I was uh, teaching high school English for a couple years ago. Years ago, I had a, um, a Jewish uh, freshman girl in my class, and this was the first time I'd ever seen this from an observant uh, Jewish woman. But she, in her, in her paper, she would anytime she wrote the, the, the name of God, she'd put G and then a dash and D because she wanted to be so careful not to even spell it out. And so behind this is this thought of God's name is so special that we must guard it. But what so often happens with what becomes a very real formalism is that we forget that God commands us to speak his name. The name of God is all over scripture. And we are called to be people who speak God's name to the world and to each other and to him in prayer. So it is not enough to simply seal our lips And not speak this word. We must must learn how to be people who use it well. And who use it rightly. The flip side of every commandment. Most of which here are listed as negatives. Do not. There is always a do behind it. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But the flip side of that is use it well. Use it wisely. Use it with respect. Uphold God's name as holy. Give right testimony to him. In the things that you think. The things that you say and the things that you do. Okay, let me see if I, I don't know if this is going to work. Let me see if I can give us sort of a visual picture, a metaphor for our own attitudes as we approach God in and, and, and dealing with not only his name but our whole attitude of what does it mean to respect him? What does it really mean to think of him? Okay, so I'm going to uh, grossly reduce us to two different camps and overly generalize. But for some of us, we are the flip-flops and shorts kind of people. Okay. Flip-flops and shorts, what do I mean? I'm not talking about what you wear to church, and I'm not talking about what you wear most of the week either, but what do I mean? I'm talking about our attitude towards our God. So if you're a flip-flop and shorts kind of person, then maybe the dominant note for you in thinking about God is a note of informality and God's approachableness, uh, his eminence. And there's a right category for this. And, you know, frankly, some of this breaks down on generational lines too, doesn't it? I mean, maybe for uh, our generation, for one generation, this this reflects a whole attitude of life, of informality and and closeness. Now, there's something really right about this because you know that in Christ you have been adopted into God's family. And a family is supposed to be a place of intimacy and warmth where you're really known. And you know the prologue to the Ten Commandments, which we read today and we'll read every week as we're going through the Ten Commandments. Before God gives any laws to his people, what does he say? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who, who rescued you from the, from the uh, house of slavery. I have re- you are my people. You are my people. And as we see throughout Scripture, and especially in Jesus when he teaches us to speak to our God, what does he say? My Father. We're brought in. And you recognize this. You take seriously First John four ten. This is love, not that God, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for us. But here's a challenge for you: If you're the flip-flop and shorts person, uh, maybe your picture of God is defined exclusively by His eminence, His nearness, and you forget that the God who is near is also a God who's holy. A guy who's a God who is high and lifted up, a God the God before whom the angels in heaven cry out, holy, 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 the one before whom Isaiah said, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and I live in the presence among a people of unclean lips. Maybe you've forgotten that the whole earth will tremble before the name of God before His glory. Maybe in your sense of informality with God that in some ways you've reduced God to little more than your buddy or your therapist or your emotional need meter. Uh, and if so, then you're breaking the third commandment because your picture of God is, is too small. And it's missing something important. Now, that's some of us, but honestly, it's not most of us. Consider the opposite extreme. Uh, in our thinking, speaking, acting, relating to God, where maybe you're not the flip flop and shorts person. You're the three-piece suit person. Uh, and there's something very right about that because we know that God's name deserves respect and reverence. And maybe this is... Uh, you may, some of it might also be tied up with uh, a whole generation's picture of, of, the, of the incredible importance of honoring rightly and respecting our elders, our country, and our God. A strong sense of respect. Another way of saying this is that for you, maybe God's transcendence is foundational to the way you relate to God. Our God is high and lifted up. And you're right. You're absolutely right. But here's the challenge for those of us on, on, who fall off the horse on this side, uh, that maybe you are missing something of the imminence of God, His nearness, His warmth, His love, His accessibility, especially in Jesus, God in the flesh, who tenderly comes to us to rescue us. The God who is high and lifted up, who steps close, and so maybe the challenge for some of us has your right respect in some ways turned into a cold formalism? If, though, if, if so, then for all your right respect, then you too are breaking the third commandment, because God is not only high and lifted up, but he's also clear, He's also close and near, involved and passionately in love with his people. Think of this picture from the Gospels. Uh, remember the scene in John chapter 13. For Jesus, on the night before he's crucified, this last evening that he spends with his people, before he prays this incredible high priestly prayer in the book of John for them, the first thing that he does after the meal is he takes off his cloak and he wraps a towel around himself and kneels down, the Lord of the universe, kneeling in the flesh, kneeling down at the feet of his disciples, doing what even slaves would have balked at doing washing the feet of his disciples, doing outwardly the most humble act you in that culture could have possibly imagined. This God who comes close, is not only high and lifted up, but who in this moment kneels down and washes their feet. This incredible picture of the closeness of God. Every bit of our lives, words, thoughts, actions, relationships, passions, all of it either gives glory to God Or it robs him of glory. It either enhances God's reputation and name. Or it takes away from it. Because all of life is lived, as the reformers used to say, Coram Deo, before the face of God. Every bit of it. Everything we think, everything we do. Every relationship that we have. Not just here on Sunday mornings. Not just uh, during the week, perhaps, for you when you take a moment to read the scriptures and to pray. Not just when you're with your Christian friends, not just when you're meeting in a home group and pulling out the Bible and talking together. Every moment of our lives, live quorum Deo, before the face of God. Every moment we are either keeping or breaking the third commandment. Whether we are flip-flops and shorts kind of people or three-piece suit kind of people. And that's what it means to Keep or not keep the commandment. But lastly, as we speak of God's name, we have to speak as people who have received God's name. Because there's this tension in all of the commandments. And maybe you're feeling this as you're sitting here this morning. When you hear this and you think, okay, if the third commandment is really that extensive, if it's really that big, then maybe I'm in a, a little bit of trouble. <laughs> And maybe I don't keep this thing as well as maybe I would have assumed that I did. And, and maybe that's starting to sting a little bit. Maybe you're starting to feel a little wounded by that. Maybe you're starting to feel the sharp edges of this commandment. Well, if that's true, uh, it gets worse. Listen to what Martin Luther Jones says. The Ten Commandments are not meant to wound you. They're meant to kill you. Cheer up. Things are worse than you thought. But if that's true, what does it mean for us who are third commandment breakers? Where is the hope for us? How are we going to be a people who can uphold this commandment? How are we going to be a people who can stand before our God, whose name that we can barely even utter well and certainly don't always live out well? Well, we're going to have to remember. I think part of this is remembering and experiencing that God not only holds his name high, But he gives his name to us as a gift. This thing that is held holy and of the utmost respect, he puts on us his people. This is remarkable. Listen to, uh, this comes from Numbers chapter 6, when God is speaking to Moses and he says, Tell Aaron, the high priest, and every priest after him, he says, Here is the blessing that I want you to say over my people. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Because God looks at them, these errant third commandment breaking people, and he says, I am going to put my name on you. I'm going to bring you, third commandment breakers, into relationship with me. And we see that fulfilled in the name of Jesus. Because what happens? In the flesh, Jesus comes to us, a people who are third commandment breakers, and the other nine as well. What does he do? He takes on flesh, he takes on a human nature. And he comes and speaks perfectly about his God and Father. And his actions always rightly reveal who God is and give glory to him. Everything about his life brings the proper weight and the proper relationship of a person before their God. And what does he do? He gives the gift of that perfect obedience, that perfect third commandment keeping, that perfect third commandment living. He gives it to us. And that one who never uttered a curse against his God is hung on a cross and has curses hurled at him by us, bears the weight of all the scorn, of all the contempt, of all the idle thoughts, of all the actions that so falsely witness to who our God is. He takes them on himself, and what does he give us in exchange? Forgiveness and his perfect obedience. In his perfect record of third commandment keeping. Talk about the importance of a name. Jesus' name, it's a uh, Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Which means God saves. And Jesus was rightly named. What happens for anyone who comes into the visible people of God... Name's the name of Christ who comes, they and their families. What happens when you, in other words, join a church? Well, if it's never happened to you before, then the first thing that happens is you are baptized. If you're an adult who comes to faith and you're never baptized as a child, you are baptized. And if you come and you bring your children, they're baptized as well. And what happens when someone is baptized? What happens when a pastor stands up here and pours water on their head? Or sprinkles it. Or dunks them. What happens? What do they say? Words from the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them how? In the name of the Father. And of the Son. And the Holy Spirit. As God's name is put on the heads of God's forgiven people. This God who's high and lifted up. And who is as close close as our breath. He's a God who forgives us who welcomes us in and puts his very name on us. And now what's it going to mean for us, people bearing that name, freed up, totally forgiven of all our third commandment breaking to now step back into our lives and be people who speak well of our God and who think well of our God and who show a life that gives reverence and glory in right respect to this majestic, high and lifted up, closer than we can imagine, God. May He give us the strength as forgiven people to be third commandment keepers. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You that in Jesus, You forgive us all those careless thoughts and careless and damaging words. The ways we take you lightly, the ways we shake our fist at you, the ways we name your name but show the world a picture of you that is ultimately false, that speaks maybe only of your closeness and not of your holiness, or only of your majesty and not of your great and intimate love, or all the different ways in between that we find to represent you poorly. We are a people in need of your forgiveness. And all we can do is say thank you, that in Jesus we find that. Would you free us now to be third commandment keepers, to see that this is not a burden that you place on us, but it is a life of joy and intimacy with you that you invite us into, that we might be people who bear your name and use your name as we most assuredly are, a people who are going to spend all of eternity in your presence. May we give glory and honor to you even today. In light of that great future, in light of the great gift you have given us in Christ. Lord, call us back from our rebellions. Call us back from our cursing. Call us back from our shaking our sh- our fists at you. Call us back from all that we do to run from you. May we be reconciled in Jesus. We thank you for that great gift and we pray in his name. Amen.